Good morning, everybody. Uh, Seth, Tommy, good morning. Happy Thursday. This is the good morning, Mike. Happy Thursday. Happy 20. This is the yeah, 20, right? Big 20. Uh, this is the number when we were at 10. And we were yeah, so excited to make it just to 10. This remember is when we counted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember those days. I still count. Uh, so welcome to the Explicit Measures podcast. Today, we're going to talk about just kind of a, a, a general topic. I think it's very applicable to Power BI and things that you do, but this could really apply to anything that we're talking about. Uh, but before we get kind of get into the, the main topic of the day about a virtuous waste, uh, I think we want to pay a little homage here to something that was just recently announced. The Power BI adoption roadmap has been released, and it is rich, really good. Tommy and Seth, thoughts, comments? What do you think so about I'm gonna it? So I'm going to recommend everyone prints it out. It's paid, If you go to the article, or like it's on the docs at Microsoft, two, page 203 to page 304, I think. Uh, I have to print it out because there it's, I think, 140 pages. Um, what I've been able to read so far, it to me is, um, I, you know, they've had some white papers before, but there's so much that they've, I think, just curated from the community, from MVPs, and put it together in a way that I was reading this, I sent it to my boss, and my boss's boss saying, I'm going to try to summarize it for you, but I want you guys to read it too. I was getting inspired by it. So I think they've done a phenomenal job. And and by they, I would say, like, the bulk of this work, like, if you, this is a wealth of knowledge and time. Like you all, everybody should go out to Twitter and at SQL Chick, SQL Chick, and uh, say thank you to Melissa Coates because this mm-hmm. is a, an undertaking and then some. So to share this kind of knowledge with uh, everyone um, is it, it's a huge deal. So a lot of the things that we've talked about, uh, I guess, you know, in, in Matthew coming in and talking at our pug, uh, incorporates, yeah. you know, is incorporated and he was a huge part in providing a lot of insight to her. But Melissa has had her um, her own Power BI roadmap and administration course for a while. And, you know, you take that knowledge of everything that she's been doing, you know, in courses and training, Mike, you took that and uh, adopting a lot of what yep. Matthew knew and and putting this together and putting it in a free form uh, for the, the wider community is, is incredible. So thank, thank you, Melissa. Yeah. Uh, what, a, what an, what an effort uh, you put into this and we, we will certainly glean a lot of information uh, out of this. That's going to help us and uh, organizations to, you know, implement Power BI in a much better way. Yeah, I think uh, we'll probably maybe do a series in the future as we digest it ourselves. This would, yeah, um, yeah. This, yeah. This definitely warrants I mean, at least at least yeah. a, a topic or two, you know. And for we've sure. talked about, yeah, and I we'll, we'll get to the top. What what I just needed to say this. We've talked about the documentation resources that have you know been available in the past, or you know, it wasn't like okay, how do I actually apply it? You know, there was a lot of great theories out there. Yep. But it was like, what does the actual infrastructure look like? What are the actual components in a in a real world setting? And so far, like everything has been so like detailed and basically it's, it's finally a, a blueprint. Yeah, it is. So, and it, honestly, if you think about it, it's in Microsoft's best interest to partner with experts, de- people who are deploying this because mm-hmm. every day, I mean, this is how I see Power BI growing in organizations. It lands on a particular 
department, someone takes a little bit of extra effort. They say, I'm going to be more efficient. And this actually, this actually dovetails really well to our topic today. They go in and say, I'm going to be, I'm going to look at my process. I'm going to do things more efficiently. I'm going to, I'm going to be better today than I was yesterday. That's all they come in to play with. And they, they start playing with Power BI and find that this thing's adding a lot of value to them and helps them automate things that they need to do and bring right. uh, really good reporting to, to decisions. So we, we don't, we stop making decisions based on gut feel and feelings and emotions. And we can start putting real data in front of people to make actual decisions. And so this diagram talks about like data culture. We've talked about that before. We've talked about executive sponsors. We've talked about that before. We've talked about content ownership and management. How does that work? Like there's a whole bunch, we've talked about a center of excellence. So there's a lot of topics in here that we've already touched on inside the, the podcast. And I'm sure there's going to be many more topics as we digest this that will come out of this, this documentation. It's really good. I already tweeted it. I, st I stuck it out there on the internet. So <laughs> retweeted her initial tweet. Mad kudos. All right, let, let's talk about today's topic. Uh, as we get in there, I put some links in the chat for the Microsoft documentation adoption roadmap. So for those of you who are following along or can see the chat window, uh, go ahead and hit those links there. Also, um, today's topic, this dovetails well into this uh, roadmap and adoption for Power BI. Today's topic is called virtuous waste. What is virtuous waste? Let's, so let's, um, let's define what it is because I think it will make it be very, come very clear why we're talking, what we're talking about here for virtuous waste. So I, I had stumbled across this article around uh, from a, the lab, the Knowledge Work Act Factory is basically a company that's using this or talking about what what is virtuous waste. And basically it's just talking about, you know, in your process, the more you touch something, the, the more you hand, hand move things around or the more you um, uh, add work to a process, you, you turn into this, you have, you're prone for errors, it takes longer to do things, and you have a lot of these repetitive processes that you do over and over again that are adding little to no value to the end goal. And so standing back and looking at your entire process and looking at what is virtuous waste? What if, what if my process is unnecessary, I can automate and, and do better, uh, build a better process around improving its performance? So here's the article. I'm going to throw the article out there. For those of you who are following along on the chat, here is the article that I found. And I just stumbled across this. I thought, man, this topic applies to everything we do. And I'm going to give a couple examples that are like of personal life things and some of the data space things and just thinking through how we apply this. So let's just think, think with me for a second. Uh, here is a task that I think I will be, I will stand on my soapbox and I will toot all, my horn all day long about this one is think about you eating your food and then washing your dishes, sticking them in the dishwasher and then taking them out. So very simple process, right? So if you think about that simple process, uh, you go get your dishes, you, you put the food in the dishes and then you bring the dishes to the table, you eat them, you rinse them in the sink and then you put them in the dishwasher. So anywhere in that process, if you have to go an extra, you know, length. So think about where your silverware drawer is, is your silverware drawer right next to your dishwasher. So most of where's, where's most of your silverware time spending time. It's either on the table or it's in the dishwasher or it's in the drawer. So if you think about those three areas where those utility utensils belong or where they live, right? You want to minimize the distance between all three of those places. So when you're, when you're designing a kitchen, uh, there's actually a, a pattern that you'll see kitchens are designed in. There's triangles. 
So you typically see like a triangle shape between the stove, the sink, and the fridge. Those are the three kind of most common areas that you touch when you're in the kitchen. Uh, and so if you stand back and look at your process, you, would, you wouldn't put your silverware drawer at the far end away from your table or, or farthest away from your dishwasher because then you have to walk all the way to the other end of the kitchen, get your silverware, bring it over to the table, use it, and then you, you know, take it to your dishwasher. So you want to minimize the amount of distance traveled because that's just less effort. So that's a very practical example. Tommy, I think you've got an example around cooking as well. Yeah, so when, Mike, when you sent the article to us and I, I read it, it, it hit me to my core. I mean, I, I first got angry at myself because I was identifying things. First, just that idea of we do things that we feel are necessary and therefore they are, yes. you know, um, they they must be done and therefore I am doing something and as they say the word virtuous is something that's yep. un, um, uh, not knowledgeable. Um, it's something that should it's, be. It's, um, it's right. We have to do it this it's way. Right. Yeah. It's right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's a good thing you know, because it must be done and I'm doing it. Yes. Um, so as I was reading this article about like the different processes, I was thinking like, oh my goodness, this is so much more than just some dealing with Power BI, but I think especially. So yeah. the first thing that came up to me was, uh, we moved into our house uh, two years ago, and you know, it was new kitchen setup. And I'm Italian; I'm the one who cooks. Uh, I let my <laughs> wife bakes, kind of thing. But it's if if she's cooking, then it's probably going to be like a you know chicken pot pie, and that's not going to happen in the house, kind of thing. <laughs> Anyways, so we put things, you know, in like okay, the pots go here, yep. dishes go here, you yep. know, um, you know, the uh, cooking utensils over here, and Every Sunday when I would make a big meal, I would go through things and I started to get frustrated because it was like, okay, because I'm usually getting a pot and then the, the, the range is here. Yeah. Right. But then I needed the spices and they're back here, which made sense at the time. Yep. And as I kept doing this, I, I was getting frustrated. And yep. I, I talked to uh, my wife about this. She's like, yeah, but it, you know, it looks better or not. It looks better here. It's. Oh, like, form of a function. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have that argument all the but time. I said, I'm like, I'm like, and I'm fine with some things like that. But I'm like, if I'm doing this task repetitively, yes, over and over again, then we're going to we have like, there's just a better way to do we it. Have to make there's it other, there's yeah. other things. Maybe like your silverware, you can uh, compromise and say we can leave it there because that's not a repetitive task that I'm doing when I'm cooking. Yes, like I don't necessarily need the forks. But the other things, if I'm going, if that's always going to be part of the workflow of cooking, I'm always going to need spices. I'm going to always need uh, the pots. I'm always going to need the cooking utensils. Yep. It needs to be near the stove. Yeah. You, you don't take your utensils. Like when you're cooking right. eggs or something, you don't right. put the utensils for the spatula like far across the kitchen. You put right. them right next to the stove because you're right. cooking the eggs. Like, oh, shoot, I need a spatula. You want to get it and use it. Like, right. The farther and, you walk, the slower it takes. Exactly. To do everything. And, it's just, ugh, frustrating. Virtuous and, waste. I think I've always been this way. Um, like, for example, when I started really learning Excel, you know, you deal with a lot of data, you scroll, scroll. And wow. after a while of doing the same tasks, I just remember thinking, there's got to be a better way. This is ridiculous to scroll down. So I'm like, I'm going to memorize these keyboard shortcuts. Oh, yeah. So, keyboard shortcuts is another great because one. Because I'm like, yeah. yeah. Because again, it's like it might take the time to memorize it, print it out, you know, like a cheat sheet. Yep. But, but I knew how much time it would eventually save me because I couldn't take it every time we're looking at the same Excel file to try to find something. So those are kind of the two main ways that I thought, not even dealing with Power BI, but just in general, where there's a mundane task. And I'll get into how, like, 
again, where the article really hit me, but that's kind of my own examples. Awesome. Seth, any examples that you have right now, you're thinking about the topic of virtuous waste that you can see, either, either business related or personal? Yeah, I think I'm going to back up because I, I don't, in my, you know, I, I, I frame things in a different way, right? That's but why we have you on here. The, the, <laughs> the, things that, the things that stood out to me in that article, right, is, is looking, what this does is it puts a lens on the, the behind the scene, like the information worker, right? Our job yep. as a day-to-day, we stare at computer screens and it takes the assembly line management idea of when you're in in manufacturing in an assembly line creating something yes everyone is hyper focused on waste on where in the line is something taking too long or Mm. where can we look for efficiencies to make things better and there's an entire world that operates on on minimization of that Mm. right and Mm -hmm. the article itself is actually kind of poking fun at information workers because it's like, yeah, your waste is virtuous. (laughs) What you're doing over there is worthwhile. Yeah. But that's the the point is they're poking fun at like the fact that we think this activities, these activities that we do every day are more valuable for some reason. Correct. When in reality, what we're doing is we're not solving sometimes the larger problem yes we're 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 wasting time on that larger pro- what that larger problem is causing and this article blew my mind Mike. yeah i mean it, and i'm still digesting because when you take when you take that lens of the assembly line waste yes and you you put that on your own work stream yep mm-hmm like, why am I? It could like, go everywhere. Why am I? Yeah. Yeah. But why am I spend like all of a sudden it brings to light like oh my gosh this bucket this yeah. bucket this mm-hmm. like these are things that I know the root cause for. Yes. We just haven't gone and like invested the time to solve the root cause problem. Yeah. Exactly. And that's why we're continually doing it, you know, downstream. So uh, another way to say this in a larger term is like, is it is it a surprise when people are bringing ideas? to you or to the organization to solve the larger issue. And in my experience, a lot of times people are like, no, no, yeah, yeah, we know what the large, just go do it. We got to get it done. Yes. Well, why is that tolerated in an assembly line? We wouldn't, we wouldn't, we wouldn't, a company wouldn't be like, you know what? We know it's this nut right here. We just need to replace it with, you know, Tommy's titanium nut. Yeah. But we're we're not going to invest in that. Right. Exactly. We're going to take the hit every single time a product goes through this thing. Yes. We're like, what? No. And and there's sure. there's a rigor that goes along with that production line mentality, right? There's there's and again, being in my engineering world, right? When you make things, if you make ten of something, it's easy to say there's a little bit of waste that goes along with the ten the ten things you're going to make. But if you're like, so in the early days of Ford, the production line revolutionized car building. They were popping out cars like what every ten minutes or something ridiculous. I mean, they had every single person in the work in the line had their single task and their their single job was to make their performance of their little tiny task as fast and as smooth as possible. And they were able to just crank cars out. This is the same technique that Toyota uses when they build their cars. Um, I, I can't remember the name of it. It's um, I, I want to say it was Kanban, but that's not the right uh, terminology. But there's there's a there's a terminology for optimizing and making everything as performant as possible. And yet we fall down and we don't use that same mentality 
with our virtuous waste or our business processes, they're doing the same thing. So let me ask you guys if, if because this kind of like sprung up at me as I was reading the article, I want to see if you also had this, it was called this epiphany. As I was reading it and going through my own virtuous waste, both in like my own personal workflows at work and then from a, you know, just from an organization point of view, one of the things, the first thing that kind of came up as I thought of these different scenarios was how did I let this happen? Did you guys think about that? Uh, did that ever come to that you? Is a, like, well, how? That is a great point. That, so, yeah. I was, um, I was just going to say that. So, yeah. one of the things here is, I think you just have to know that it's there, right? So, even even acknowledge, so I know about it because, and so uh, Kevin caught my lack of memory here. Kevin says it's the lean process. Lean manufacturing is what it's called. And this is another whole thing called 5S that also creates sustainability things. Again, this is a very engineering-based terms, but it's basically... I have I have been tainted. My my schooling has tainted me because I know about these things, and so I've been taught about what is efficient and what is not efficient. And so through my schooling, people around me get annoyed because I'm like, well, that's not efficient. We should do it a different mm -hmm. way. Everything I look everything I look at from my my personal life, my business world, like doing business with thing is how can I be more efficient with everything? And this is one of my big beefs around data is we constantly pick up data and move it to multiple places even though it's the same information multiple times, like there's, I don't want to touch the data multiple times. I want to, I want to put the data where it needs to live and, and only handle it once. And I want to be as efficient with that as I possibly can. So I had a theory of like basically how it creeps up or how it kind of even seeps into our process I like it. without us knowing. Yeah. Uh, because again, I was thinking, let's, let's take the cooking example and, and then I'll obviously we'll go into power BI. Um, we're not going to change the podcast, to the, but as the reason why I think virtuous waste has at least occurred in my own my own experience is two things. It's you're kind of unaware of the like a lack of knowledge of the situations or the scenarios that will occur. So case in point with the cooking, okay. I wasn't sure where the pots and pans needed to go because I didn't know in a sense that what that workflow was be. Never lived in the house. Um, and so then also it's the basically like the once you have a process down, there's a lot of time usually that needs to be spent to improve that or to eliminate it. And sometimes you may think it's not worth it. So think of uh, think of like you had an Excel file, right? And you had to like change something to automate it. That sometimes to take that or learn keyboard shortcuts. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not something you learn in a day. Correct. And if you're like, I'm going to commit myself to doing this, there's a lot of in a sense stress in learning and yes. adapting to that new you know, process, but understanding how much time it will save you at the end. Correct. Uh, another, another way is we have a PowerShell script for the uh, Power BI activity log. Yep. And I had to learn PowerShell, uh, you know, like, or at least to get this to loop. It was either I had to change the, the day because you can only run the, uh, like, get activity for one day Correct. at a time. Yep. And I was like, I can't, there's got to be a better way. So I spent a good amount of hours trying to understand loops and variables and PowerShell. And again, it was like, this is a waste of time. I wasted half my day. But if you look at how much time is being spent now, once a week, I just go into it, change two you know, numbers, two variables, Boom, let it run. And Perfect example. Yeah. So I think it's lack of understanding what the process or situations will be. And then two, it's... Uh, you know, um, the pain spending the time to improve it. 
So someone, uh, Kevin mentions here, he said, this talk is leading to a very strong use case for Power Automate, automating those remedial tasks. And, and that I didn't even think about it, but there's a lot of remedial tasks that you do that you could potentially automate RPA, uh, repeatable process automation, I think is what, mm -hmm. uh, is what yeah. that stands for. There's like an RPA that you can do on top of things as well. And so, yeah, uh, this topic is huge. Uh, this is a really big yeah. topic. I think this has a lot of implications for businesses. Um, I'd like to, uh, unless you have another comment around just areas or thoughts around that. I, I, Tommy, I thought your observation was really good. I was thinking maybe we, maybe we poke at some, you know, if we look at our Power BI, so let's mm -hmm. maybe hone into, you know, we're, we're actually going to get back to the data world. <laughs> yeah. so this is a podcast about Power BI, not just random cooking in Tommy and Mike, <laughs> Mike's kitchens. <laughs> um, if, we, if we come back now to the topic, you know, how, what do we see in Power BI or what do we do today that it is potentially considered virtuous waste? And are there things that we're doing now or things that we would recommend to remove some of that virtuous waste? Yeah, I, I mean... So, so I'll, I'll, I'll kick off right in that, in that vein, a, a couple of the areas that they point out as, you know, virtuous waste, uh, waste mm -hmm. is very, very variance, right? Variation mm -hmm. in, in your process, lack of process. You can, you can take that all the way to ba all the way back to, you know, whether it's on an organizational level or you building reports, if, if you're building reports on the same Excel files in the same folder, every time, do you, do you have a template set up that's already prepped to, you know, create the connection? Did can you go further than that and, you know, create the objects that allow you to get to point, you know, E F G as opposed to A every single time? And and that's where this idea of virtuous waste and comparisons between, you know, becoming more efficient, looking at your job, right? is where these big, big aha moments come from. So taking that outside, right, does the team have, you know, a, the same series of steps that, that they need to accomplish when building a report? Do they have the same, do you have the same checks? Do you have the documentation? Because that's, that's one of the mm -hmm. big things too, right? Poor to non-existent documentation in activities, like the brain worker, like, and, and if you think about some of the companies that I've been with, right, where, there's the person, the single point mm -hmm. of failure for like a large part oh, of something true. and they leave the org, what that mm -hmm. does to Screwed. the company. So hard to, right? to recover this from is, that. This is a direct representation of this where we just allow that to happen within yeah. an organization. There's no redundancy. Yes. Like, like, can you imagine assembly line without redundancy? <laughs> like, hey, take it offline for five minutes. How about you take it offline for a month? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Like you take out just there's just vacuum of when somebody leaves. And that's a, a direct example of like an oversight, something that would never be acceptable in an assembly line. Yep. And is something that is, you know, I think in a lot of Power BI reports, are you sticking something that's complex or even out there mm -hmm. without end user documentation? Yep. Does somebody know how to use your report or are they going to waste time trying to figure out? all every single report you put out because you're not spending time in there you and the you you're you're bringing up some really good high level points and i want to bring you made me think of a topic here that's i think very near and dear to my talk to, uh, my heart recently is bookmarks bookmarks mm -hmm. are one of these things that can be one of these little to no documentation pieces and if you if you have a team of people working on the same report and 
you make a bookmark to show or hide something. Maybe you're doing something that's required from the report standpoint, like you have tabs and you want to swap out a visual to show like a table, right? You're, you have different tabs and you want to show different columns on a table and you need to physically hide and show different things. You have to create a bookmark to switch those visuals and turn them on mm -hmm. and off. But how do you document what bookmark touches what objects in the report and what happens if you need to hide or show multiple objects in the report based on the bookmark? Huge yeah. problem. And so yeah. if you, so I just, I, I was working on this with Steve Campbell a little bit, uh, another MVP who, who blogs on the Power BI Tips website. And we kind of came up with a methodology that works, I think, to some degree, because there is no way of looking at, you can't click on a bookmark and say, highlight the things on the page that the bookmark touches. You just can't. Right. So, you know, a couple observations there about how to like communicate and, and document there is when you're making bookmarks, you need to label the objects clearly. So one of the things is, you know, when you make objects on a page, label them like plain and simple. Uh, if you have multiple objects that relate together, like if you want to hide or show two elements versus just one element, you make a group and you name the group. So groups are amazing because bookmarks work, work well with hiding and showing mm -hmm. the entirety of the group. Highly recommend that. And then you add this little note here. So you, I use like a, a naming schema of like what it is. So I would say, you know, like if I have like a KPIs at the top of the page, I'm going to swap them out potentially. I would have like KPIs and then I would name, um, you know, the page it's from. So it'd be page name, KPIs. And then at the end of it, you put a one, a, a number, a numbering thing. And so then you name your bookmark. Same thing, page number, what it's doing. So KPIs show KPI, or you'd be like on the, you know, overview page, KPI show, and then you add a number or a digit to the end of that. So that way you can visually see a numbering system between the objects on the page and the bookmarks that you've produced. And you know that bookmark labeled as number one is influencing objects with the label number one on them inside the report page. I think uh, I think I need documentation on your uh, approach there. I'll send you. The, I'll send you the documentation. I'll send you the Power BI I love how you're. I, I love how you're working around a, a kind of a not great point in the tool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know it. But this is. I the, mean, it is it right? But like, 100%. you think about that. Like, it's document. It's documenting how you go build or or fix or or redo something in a report because right. if. The problem with that is if you if a person comes in and they touch one thing, it's highly likely, depending on how many bookmarks are on a page, you have to redo them all. Yeah. Right. So what is what is the Gosh, yeah. if you're changing something, here's your next here's your path forward for resetting this page the way it needs to to, to be done. So Steve, yeah, that was an amazing article by Steve Campbell. So um, it's already I, documented. I go... It's on powerbitips.com. So <laughs> to link your team to powerbitips.com. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, it's already there. Mike, I want to that I was going to bring up one point, but you kind of brought up something that I want to I think what you're saying with the bookmarks is kind of like I want to get to the root. And I think that's one of the branches. Yes. Both. If you're not doing the documentation, you know, or the labeling, it's the same thing as if you're going into a report and let's say you're creating the logic. Right. Yep. So you're saying member, not a member, you know, net new, not net new. And you have to create that all in Power BI. Sure. So if you don't have a plan of attack for that we're dealing with this right now. We have a very bloated report because we went into that trying to solve in Power BI that logic yeah. for a customer to say, are they a member? Are they net new? 
and you know you got to test things in Power Query, do groups, and then do yep. a few merges. Sure. Uh, because it wasn't available. It wasn't available anywhere. Yep. Yep. And yep. but what happened was you, in a sense, you'd have that ad hoc. Like I just need to figure this out. Yes. But now we're trying to go back and say like, how can we actually make this a little more scalable? Correct. Like because there's so much bloat in it. Yep. Exactly. And, and it's the the bloat. And because just like with bookmarks, sometimes I was like, oh, I should create a bookmark. So they start creating a bookmark, but they don't have the idea like the overall, the end goal. Correct. Like, and I don't think that's necessarily a, um, a fault or someone just not being, uh, you know, aware. It's that's a lot of things that we're usually doing. It's like yes. we're trying to f figure something out, like, OK, how will this work? But it's almost like the. Uh, um, I don't want to say Indiana Jones, but it's almost like the the navigator who always has a rope or the flags on each tree to know how to get back. Yep. yep. A lot of times we're just trying to explore because it needs to be done. Agreed. But some percent. You know, and it it takes a little extra time to trace your steps as you go along. But and again, that goes back to you know a lot of the the virtuous waste is because, uh, you know, it's doing it that one time and it works. Yep. So let me give but, you let, yeah. me, let me give you another another thing that's I find so I think your example of going down these rabbit trails right so there's 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 an end goal right we're mm -hmm. trying to get to this report that has some information in it and sometimes we take a number of different journeys to get there mm -hmm. which we're building extra measures we're building a calculated column maybe to get what we want done but yeah that calculated column doesn't need to be there mm -hmm. we should push it up into Power Query or maybe all the way back up into SQL. So that there are things that we're doing like right now to like, I just need to figure it out. There has to be some level of pattern or, mm -hmm. or a process that you're adopting that's helping you understand what is being used in the report. Another thing I find is very difficult right now is once you've made a report, it's out there, it's done. You come mm -hmm. back to it a couple months later, you add a little bit more to it. You come back to it a couple months later, you add a little bit more to it. Everyone's very hesitant to delete anything from models mm -hmm. and reports because you don't know where the heck it's used, mm -hmm. and there's very little documentation to help you figure that out. So um, another tool that I will, I'll point out, and an, another one, a process you should adopt right away is think about how you are consuming those tables of data that you use in the report. So you, again, when you start, you don't know which columns you need. So typically you right. bring in the entire table. So I find that it's... A, as a process standpoint, if you start with a full table, hide all columns, hide everything. And then when everything's hidden, unhide the columns you're using in the visuals mm -hmm. for the report build. And so what you'll find is if you do that, and if you just, it's a very simple, like little tweak to your process, mm -hmm. hide all the columns and then uh, make measures. And again, tabular editor makes this thing really awesome because you can make, mm -hmm. you can script, you like, grab all these numerical columns, script them all as measures and hide all the all the numerical right. columns. So you, you basically made all your explicit measures, <laughs> homage to the <laughs> podcast, made all your explicit measures in one step very quickly. So that that's one that you have to do. But then as you as you slowly unhide things, it becomes clear that certain columns will stay hidden and then when you're done, because those are not consumed in the revisuals or or using them as filters or using them in the report somewhere, you can then safely go back and at a glance, look at all your tables and see which columns can you remove because odds are some of these dimensional columns that have just text in them are causing your model to bloat. They're causing your model to be large and you don't even know that they're there and it's, it's going to cause you performance issues later on uh, down the road. So it keeps your model size small. 
Uh, it'll help you optimize and, and things like, so that's another piece of this that I think is really key here is just a, a little tweak to your process and you can be much more efficient. Like Tommy said, if I just learn the shortcuts and then there is shortcuts for Power BI desktop, I don't remember exactly how to get to the shortcut command to see them. I, I think it's like control backslash or cons control comma or something like that. But there are shortcuts in desktop that you can actually use shortcut not, key commands. Not super efficient, but... Not super efficient, but better than not using them either. So one other thing I thought from the individual, because as we were thinking of this topic, I kind of broke it down to like three area, uh, two area, actually three areas. Sorry about that. Three areas of in the Power BI world where you can find virtuous waste. It's the yep. individual, you know, performing performing tasks, building reports, uh, querying data, uh, you know, and sending that out. It's the team. So it's like reviewing the data quality yep. and deprecating reports and the organization. How do we adopt and how do we document? Uh, one other thing from the individual point of view that I just keeps coming back to the surface for me as we think about this um, is one of our older episodes we talked about Power BI apps and the colors in there. And um, I think Seth brought up at the time, like how great would it be if the report like green meant marketing and blue meant sales? Uh, and I was like, that's a great idea. So I was like, I want to go in and create a theme, uh, a, a theme JSON file for each of the different departments or the apps. But I want to go a step further. So I use the Power BI Tips theme builder, but I'm like, I want to go into the JSON because I want to make the column headers. Like I hate that column headers are never aligned center or the values are never aligned center. And just the little things that are so intricate to like, you have to add in a JSON file. And I'm not super comfortable with JSON, especially when, you know, dealing with the code, but took a good amount of hours, one, to get a color scheme for each of the yep. the Power BI app colors. So like the Adobe color wheel, understanding data color, and created these theme files. So that time is I've saved now anytime I'm creating a report because the background's yep. always white. It's, you know, it's a transparency of zero. The column headers are a light green if it's marketing and a light blue if it's sales. Yep. And how much better that makes the reports. Like the time I've saved now and just I don't have to worry about that now is absolutely huge. I, I would agree. This is one of the things I think as you look as a larger team and more people keep consuming the same mm -hmm. report, this has been a staple for what Seth and I do in building reports as a team is when is specifically when you're building reports that integrate with an application, right? I have a specific style mm -hmm. that I'm trying to meet and everyone on the team needs to meet that same style. It's, it's much more helpful to have the style of the, your tables, your visuals, what's on by default, the font types, right? The, you know, cause if you look at a visual today, the font types change in that visual, the title bars of the titles of the, of the label, of the axes, will be different than the title of the report or, or the title of the visual itself. So to make those things uniform inside a theme file is a huge time saver. And actually threw in uh, one of our favorite tools that we've made because we find this is such a virtuous ways effort is we have a whole website dedicated to helping you build theme files because it is too hard to go through and build one feature at a time. And you need to apply that theme file to multiple different Excel or uh, Power BI files, so that's that's a huge time saver for for organizations. Is use a tool to generate your theme files and consume that in all your reports. I think one of the things to keep in mind that that strikes me right in coming out of 
the the topic overall is if if you don't have a process, start mm-hmm. one. Right, like this all this all begins whether that's creating reports or, you know, the the larger team efforts in making sure multiple people are doing the same things. You have to start with at least understanding what the process should look like, because then you're going to be able to figure out where there's areas right. for improvement and where you can become much more efficient. If you don't have a process, you're you, like you're you're in nowhere land, right? And I think part of part of the thing that comes out of this conversation for me is the first thing in that process is just because we figure it out and solve the thing, i.e. we put out a report, that is that is not the final solution. And we treat it like it is. Right. Like if you think like is the thing we're going to add to the assembly line just whipped in there because it's Mm -hmm. the coolest new thing? No, it's vetted, tested, thoroughly, you know, tested on the sidelines, making sure that we can, you know, ha- make sure it's doing the thing appropriately and faster or better. Yep. Right. Why is the skunk works automatically production so often? And we're fine mm-hmm. with it. Oh, I like and that. we're not refining. Yeah. It, yeah. Right. Like that's ridiculous in the lens of what we're talking about. So in, in all of that, right, cut out the manual tasks as much as you possibly mm-hmm. can find efficiencies and refine like refining and making the things better should be part of a process that an organization wants to do because with power bi it's awesome it is absolutely Mm -hmm. awesome that we can get the answers quickly but just because we have the answers does not mean that how it's delivered or what we're Mm -hmm. doing behind the scenes is optimal for continued you know use of that that object or that idea in the organization totally agree seth i was i was going to ask you a question i think you might have answered already but you talked about it's so important that process so let me ask you when does that process begin because it's not just having a process it's what process you put in place no i agree so when does when does the process begin like creating a process for you when does creating yeah. a process this is a begin good, for me? This is a good question. I, I think this is a really good question. So I would answer this is I'm always thinking about process. And I think there's always in my in the back of my mind, I'm always looking at like, how can I do something more efficiently? Um, so for me, even even when I do something the first time, the very first time I do something, I'm, I'm thinking through is, is even there a better way to do this? And you may not know um, exactly what, what it is like what you that you want to do um but i i feel like in the processing portion of things like i'm always thinking about what is the of what i know right because it's also a progression too right you built when you do something the first time that's the only way you know how to do it potentially right when i was working in excel i didn't know about power query initially i was doing a lot of things in excel and so at some point in time you can say okay that's the best process i'm aware of at this time and then if you see something, this is a skill I think you kind of have to learn is you have to be able to look at what other people are doing or research something or figure, you know, as you increase your knowledge about how Excel works and writing macros and potentially using tables versus just writing a grid of information or filtering just, you know, information there, there, there are techniques you, you learn over time that make you more efficient. And so mm-hmm. putting yourself around other people who are more efficient or also process oriented as well, I think enables you to help think that way and think, oh, there's a better way. I, w- I would never have known about Power Query unless 
uh, someone in the business said, hey, there's this new thing Microsoft made. It's called Power Query. It's an add-in for Excel. I'm like, what, an add-in for Excel? Like, what the heck? <laughs> it came from Microsoft. Yes, I tried it out. Awesome. Power View, same thing. Someone told me about it. I just started playing with this thing on the side. I was like, holy smokes, what I was doing is good, mm -hmm. but what I can right. do now is better. And so I think you have to like, you know, I, I think I'm always thinking about process and in all steps. I, I don't think I ever like just kind of just do something and, and undo it. Um, another, sorry, another I'm talking too long here, but another example <laughs> I use about this is I, I, when I teach classes on power, power BI, I say, please take note. The section we're doing on power query will change your career. It will change how you do things and it will make you a more productive person just by understanding what Power Query is and how it works. And I said, I keep telling everyone, automate, automate, automate. I beat in their heads. It's like everything we're doing mm -hmm. in Power BI, Power Query in that application is the exact same stuff you should do in Excel. And I said, you should stop right now. Never copy paste data between Excel files ever again. You're done. That's it. Mm -hmm. You're cut off. You now know a better way of doing this. You must always now use folders and loading things in through Power Query, no matter how small the task is, because mm -hmm. I can't tell you the number of times I've done something where I've done transforms on data in Excel, and the next day, some person comes back to me and says, can you redo the analysis? So the mm -hmm. very first time someone says, can you redo whatever you just did or add to whatever you just did? Now you've got to, again, there's no documentation to my process. I was right. just copying and pasting cells and making formulas. So I, I that all that knowledge lives in me now, and it's not in a tool that can be shared or I can go back and learn from it and figure out what was I doing, which are these process steps that I was doing. This is, oh man, I just get oh, so excited well, about this because this, is, this and, is what changes the world for me. Well, we brought up the, the um, you know, like a, 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 a factory before when we were talking about like a product line, right? Well, that's easy. It's easier to identify uh, where your virtuous waste is there. For us, we're for the most part like no one's no one's evaluating the cost of us changing the colors in the Power BI report. Correct. Like that's not being that's not being much harder to a evaluate. log yes. in its time. And or right. yeah, and so it's much harder as these things begin <clears throat> to creep up. Um, so to the process thing. Uh, Seth, what you said and what I, I think even with the, the Excel file and Power Query, creating a process or a good one that's actually going to eliminate the waste, I think, starts with asking a couple of questions. Questions like, is this going to be used in other products or like other reports? Is it um, like, is it just not just this one single report? Is it something that's going to be needed? Is it a common query, so to speak? So maybe rather than doing the Power Query and Power BI for that Excel file, you create a data flow. So understanding what the use or the, the application of that, whatever the task you're working on is going to be in the long term, and sometimes that is difficult to, under, to know, but understanding what is the long term like task for this. And a lot of times we just work in the now, creating Correct. this report. Yes. I, I think so. <laughs> I almost uh, spilled my coffee oh, there. No, I'm fun. stepping in. My turn. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry. There's so much good stuff here. I know. To to answer your question, you know, Tommy, in a different way, like, am, how do you create a process if you don't have one? Mike alluded to the fact that uh, over time you start to understand areas where you can become more efficient, right? But to your point, questions. Am I doing the same things again and again and again and again? Yes. Right? The, the, the second point are there methods to do this better? And this, this 
dovetails into the topic or what we hammer on people to do all the time is go out there and learn, learn what's going on, learn the new tool, learn the things that are out there because you're not going to know what methods are better Mm -hmm. if you're not out there understanding that there are other options other than this little, you know, focused area that you're just tiny, like looking at, you just solve the problem and that's all, all, all that you do. Um, and then pretend someone is going to take this over from you, Ooh, right? Like mm-hmm. regardless of does the report, you know, is this going to be, you know, bigger, more used or whatever the case is, is someone else. If you, if you're, if you have a document or something, at least a guide that says, Hey, here's how you adjust these, you know, unique things in this report, you're 10 times better off than, than the, you know, individual that's not doing that to your point though. We, we talk about assembly lines, right? And there there are some mm-hmm. things that cross over, but we're not creating the same product every single time, right? right? And, and that's where things do dovetail. But at the same time, when you don't have a process, you don't have an assembly line yet, right? So you're still figuring out what those components are that make that whole thing faster. Yes. But when you actually have something up and running, now you need to go back to the beginning and mm-hmm. refine that, right? right? call yeah. it tech debt, call it whatever you want, yep. but it should like, that's another aha moment in here from the standpoint that we should be constantly refining mm-hmm. whatever we build because there are always going to be optimizations. You think about that in your own code writing too, right? Yep. Like this is an ongoing joke everywhere. Like you come back to your code that you wrote six months ago and you're like, oh, oh hey, what like, did why did I do that? Right. Yeah. Right? yeah. Why is that? Because you've learned, right? You've learned a lot more. You know how to do things more efficiency, efficiently. So we need to bring that back into the work stream and make make everything work better and more efficiently. So Kevin also says uh, another note here on the on the comments. He goes, uh, sometimes you can't see it yourself. Sometimes you need another person yeah. who has a, a different experience to give you some light. And so I'll I'll make a note around this. Peer review is understated, even sure. under like a Power BI reviewing process. So yeah. I, I think a part of any process, especially when you're doing like reports for production or something, there needs, and that's why you have QA. That's a kind of like a peer review thing. Like you build something, you give it to someone else. Here's what I think you said. I heard, I heard you say A. I produced A. Is that what you really want? You know, here's my report. Tell me if there's if I'm off base. So I think peer review is really key here. And you, this is, happens in code. Like if you're doing mm-hmm. productionalized code. Peer review happens in code, and and we should have a similar or a lightweight version of this. What does a peer review look like for internal people? And I think you know, some stuff that's very important here is just writing down what's important to you, right? If if making bookmarks and documenting them a certain way is important to you and your organization, find where that information is captured on the internet. I sent the link for our best practices for bookmarks. Adopt some of those practices. Write them down in your own words and your in organization and use that. Here's, here's how we document bookmarks. And if you put it in a, this is where the, the center of excellence or the community of practice, I think, comes into play here because collectively you have multiple people reviewing your stuff. And, uh, you know, if you're, if you're the modeler guy and you don't have anyone else to review your models with you in your organization, you're going to come up with some weird stuff. You need, an, you need an, to find someone else who's better at modeling than you are to bounce ideas off of. And I think... This is one of the things why I really appreciate the MVP community and particularly mm-hmm. you guys, right? Because I have ideas. They're not always right. They're probably well, sometimes... If you, think, if you think about this conversation on a Tuesday and Thursday basis, yeah. I think part part of the, the immense value and why I get excited to come and, and talk 
is because this is a refinement process. Yes. Like everything we talk yeah. about. Yes. We're, we're talking about things, even this topic alone. You think about like Tony, Tommy, Tommy, you said this earlier too. Like this is a big, like, oh my goodness, kind of like look at our own business and our right. own processes and our own. So this dialogue is fantastic from yes. that standpoint because I'm, I'm it is you. that catalyst yes. to to constantly refine what we're yeah. doing even on a daily basis. 100%. Guys, I almost didn't even enjoy the chat. I almost just did the YouTube thing and said, I just want to listen to you guys. So, <laughs> no, but but honestly, talking it out like has like in all the episodes we've done has been huge. Like, and I think for, for anyone yeah. who's listening to this, if you have anyone on your team, uh, you know, just being able to talk it out, you kind of learn yourself. Going, oh, oh, you know, like just being, just being able to speak to it. So let me ask you guys, uh, as again, there's just so much to this. We're talking about obviously the need and different ways to, you know, uh, eliminate this waste, this virtuous waste. If for for what we do, from being a Power BI admin to you know an author, how do we how one how can we identify any virtuous waste in our own processes and workflows, and yep. then for our organization in Power BI, and then two, how can we prevent it? Yes. So I'll give out a couple of things. I think one thing you're you're looking for. I think Tommy, you did a good job summarizing. Like there's there's waste at the personal level, the team level, and the organization level. And I think in all those places. What you look for is what is what is something that you're doing multiple times. Think you know just just looking at your process. If you had to like pick up make a process diagram, at at any one of those levels, what is something that you're doing repeatedly, and look at those things. So I think I think you know if you're doing something once, that's yes, there may be some virtuous waste in that particular item or task, but I don't think it's very easily optimized because you haven't done enough to know what's better or what's not better. So I think that would be one way. It's just as you look at your process, take a moment to step back, mm -hmm. review it, uh, give yourself time for that, right? You need to give yourself time to sit back and kind of like do a, a post review. You can't do a report and then run off to the next report. You know, do five reports and then come back and say, okay, what if my process, if I looked at all the things I did for those five reports, are there anything I could do? Build a theme mm -hmm. file? Could I come up with a template? Could I pre-populate a Power BI file with like, my security model and some tables and like a date table. Can I just make all of that, start that, make a PBIT file and reuse that? So like, mm -hmm. what, what are you doing that's common? So I think that's one thing I would point out. Um, so in terms of, I, I, Tommy, can you refresh what you said? I, how do you identify and what was the second? So the first is like, how can we identify things in our, our current uh, yep. processes, to, yep. uh, where it is, and then two, how can we prevent it from uh, coming in part of our process? Got it. And I think we've we've nailed a lot of how mm -hmm. to prevent it, right? Yeah. Like these are the the key things or areas that that we would we would you know fall into or recommend. But identifying is should be fairly easy from the standpoint. What are the problems that you're seeing in your output? Right. Like, are, are there consistent issues or complaints about mm. is is the mm -hmm. like, do users spend a ton of time trying to figure out what's going on in the report? Did they not know drill through was there? Did they not know a mm -hmm. hover over would have answered their question? You, you know, what are what are those problems? And then leaning on the individuals that have a little bit more experience to to, to look at the larger scope mm -hmm. of why if this is a consistent problem, where is it coming from? as opposed to just solving it every single time it comes up. 
oh, this uh, end user is in, is complaining about something. Oh, add documentation to that report, right? right? But you don't add it to your overall process, right? Right. So the identification of of the actual core issue needs to lead to how do you prevent it? You go find where it originates from and solve the problem back there so that it's not a repeated thing downstream. This is another this is another engineering term I'm going to pull out here. It's called root cause analysis. Yeah. So sure. that that's another kind of really cool area here. It's you know, RCA or however you want to call it. But root cause analysis is, is is really going down and breaking it down, you know, asking that why question multiple times. Mm-hmm. Users are not using the report. Why? Users don't understand what this chart means. The five why? whys, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't understand the chart because they don't understand what the calculation is. Why? I don't trust the numbers in the measure. Why? And like you keep going down, and at some point you hit a point where you can't break it apart any further. You've figured mm-hmm. out the bottom of the why. And so it's. I think that's another really good how do you prevent it is looking at things that are, and I like it, look at things that are broken. If you're getting a lot right. of feedback about broken things, that's something that's a fault. So and you it, go fix that. And you know, uh, another another thing that kind of sh- shoots in my mind, the great thing about having a process is if somebody in the organization is like, no, 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 man, I know you can, I can, I know you can jump in at step five and five to 10 is what I want. Uh, well, if you skip one through four, you're going to create, pro- I don't care, man, get it out the yeah. door. <clears throat> well, I'm telling you, skipping one through four is going to cause these issues because that's why we solve for, don't care, man. All right, well, you own that decision. You skipped my process. And you're gonna get a different result. Yep. I, unfortunately, I always feel like for us though, and, and what we do, if we just kind of adhere to that, if we're like, okay, it's on you, it's never on them. No one's ever gonna I, go. I, I get it. I, I get yeah, it. and that's the so frustrating. Like, this is no, where this is exactly blowing my mind. I know exactly it. Like, what oh, you're this saying. is good. Yeah, because you can say like, okay, this is on you. you can tell your boss, and then they're gonna go. So I'm taking well, why this to work today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Um, the one thing I'll say from prevent and identify and yep. from the root cause or asking the questions is taking the time in two, uh, two ways. One, taking the time, like dedicated time to look at your own personal process to say, what do I do repetitively that maybe could speed up? Like, again, like the template, the, the template file. Like I always change the column headers, the background color. Okay. So, or things like that, whatever you're doing, like the, a CSV file that you're always editing, this should be a data flow added to a folder. So taking the time, one, to try to identify your own process and what you do. And then two, and I think this is one we haven't really touched on, but is taking the time to change it and pausing what you're doing, yep. getting, you know, talking to your boss or your team saying, hey, we're going to focus right now on like optimizing this we're going to it's so all the deliverables are going to be paused it's not going to look like we have outputted anything which again for us that's kind of what we do is is always that output but we're going to take so many days or hours to improve this now and there will be a you know a delay in getting reports out there or updates out there but taking that time to actually change that process and making it better on the long term I keep pulling on really good ideas here because the agile process or sprinting or doing scrum, the scrum process, there is built into that process. There is an allowance for no deliverables for one sprint. And I don't know, some companies employ this, like you do six sprints and the organization knows that you do six sprints of work. And then the seventh sprint, every seventh sprint is a no deliverable sprint. It's code cleanup. 
It's reviewing your processes. It's these. It's building time into your process to come back and clean up, fix, you know, sound up the 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 foundation, because what we have to because we have to build more on top of it. And I think there's that's a undervalued area in organizations. They don't find enough value in it, and we just want to continue moving faster and faster and faster. And we have to plan. Microsoft does it too. RBI, they have a sprint where anyone can build whatever they want for like a week. Free open ideas. They ask, you know, creative ideas. And that's how you spur innovation on top of something that may be feeling stale. Yeah. Anyways. Well, I think we could talk about this for another hour. But unfortunately, we should probably wrap up today. (laughs) Yes. So I'm going to change the outro here just a little bit, Tommy. So if people are listening to this, you've already found us on YouTube or Spotify or the podcast place. So... Where's where's a page that you can get in contact with us? You know how do how do people ask us questions or give us topics that we should talk about? All right, I'm, hey, I'm gonna have to change my own template now. Okay, just <laughs> if you are watching, you can find us anywhere podcasts available. Blah blah blah. Um, if you want to join the conversation, or if yes. you want to um, you know, like suggest a topic, an idea for for us to kind of go through, just uh, have your input. You can do so two ways. PowerBI.tips slash explicit measures podcast. And at the very bottom of the, uh, the page, there's a form yep. where you can suge- suggest a topic. You can also tweet to at PowerBI tips with the hashtag EMP mailbag with your question, topic, or idea. And we'll talk about it. With that, gentlemen, it's almost an hour. We've been hammering this topic pretty hard. This is a great topic. Uh, I found literally a website page and we've been able to ramble about this for a full hour so i've learned a lot from you guys again i always appreciate it everyone who's listening on the podcast thank you very much for listening with us uh we really appreciate your feedback this has been a lot of fun for us and we hope you're enjoying it too we'll see you again next week thanks guys